You know, the sad truth, folks, about Christendom today, truth is being buried under the guise of political correctness. And so what I want to share this morning is some of the doctrines that have been taught in this church for years. But any time I'm teaching doctrine, I mean this genuinely, you're allowed to disagree with me. Amen. But don't come and say, I, I don't agree with you. Bring your Bible. And then you can show me where you don't agree with. And that's not a threat or a challenge in any way, shape, or form. And don't worry. <laughs> it's not that bad. But I believe there's truths. I was just watching a clip last night, funny enough, in the study. And this guy telling us that the Bible tells us a million Chinese men are going to walk across the Euphrates River. And I thought, where on earth in the Bible is that? And then this other channel I went to, they were uh, going to build the third temple and this would bring back the Messiah. They may well go ahead and build what they call the third temple, but it's not in the Bible, folks. The church that God is building is you and I. Amen. You and It's not this building. It's you and I. It's the people of God. And I want you to bear that in mind. The people of God. It's not about land. It's not about buildings. His church, his people are his people. So let's go to Luke 21. If you have a Bible with you, we'll read from verse uh, 25. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth near. And I love that verse. Because there are men's hearts who are failing them today for fear. Particularly at the moment, there's a lot of conversation about the Middle East. And the very biased reporting of the media folks. And they're afraid, but you know something, as Christians, as God's people, what we are told to do is look up, because very soon the Lord will be back. Luke 21, 26. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming in the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And what they're looking at is what these other people, with no concept of what the Bible actually says, telling them. And they're putting fear in men's hearts. And if men would look at the word of God and for themselves and understand the word of God for themselves, that they would see that, yes, horrendous things are going to happen. There's no doubt about that. But the thing is, it's the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to rule and to reign in glory. You know, church, I say this with total, absolute genuineness with my hand and my heart. I'm so blessed to have been under the ministry of two great men of God, Pastor James Connolly, Pastor Eric McCulloch. And the truths that whenever I came along 42 years ago, the truths that they taught, and for me, it brought the Bible together. Because listening, I mean, I read books. I mean, I'd have been through, I mean, I'm not a great reader now, but back then, I'd have been through a book in a day, hungry, wanting to learn. And there was so much confusion, particularly Hal Lindsay and company, Made no sense what I didn't even know the Bible and listening and looking at Hal Lindsay's stuff, I thought, what on earth are you on about? But these men and Pastor Taylor, the Pastor Taylor and especially Pastor McComish, they taught us the word of God. 
But the thing was, church, I was hungry for it. And there needs to be a hungry for God's word. Um, like I said, what I present to you today, go away and study it for yourself. I'm here to teach you, yes. But I hope today I'm here to challenge you to look for yourself. Don't accept my word. I'm a fallible human being. Look for yourselves and you'll see. As I've said, people are looking for themselves, but they're getting the wrong advice. They're watching the media. All sorts of social uh, media stuff. That's absolute nonsense. Some of the things that people are coming off on that. But, uh, I was going to tell you a few there, but we're not, we'll, we'll stick to the word of God. But people are afraid. They see disasters. And they put blames on disasters. And again, the control that the world has on the media makes them out worse, although they were bad. But for example, it was a couple of scientists saw it, and it was a social media a television program as such that I was watching. And that time, the, uh, wasn't it, the dam went in Libya. And they said that's got nothing to do with global warning, warming. What they said was the problem was there was two great rivers in Libya and many other rivers which fed off that river. And they channeled them all into one river. And the water had nowhere to go. And that caused that fatal disaster in Libya. And so there's things like this happening there's wars, as we see in the Middle East. There's plagues, there's famines, severe weather, and a falling away, and this is the worst thing, church. There's a falling away of all morals and ethics in the world, not just within what we would term Christian countries. And the sad thing, just speaking with Pastor Comfort the other day, every time there's a war, every time there's a bullet fired, people are talking about the world is going to end. This is it, and get all these social media comments and all these media comments. They tell us the world is over and everyone's going to perish, and especially when it's in the Middle East. We have Iraq, Syria, and Israel, and anytime anything happens there, again, the claim is we're going to have the mother of all battles. Do you remember Saddam Hussein predicted the world was going to end when the, the Allied troops went into Iraq? But yet we're still here for some reason. The question that I would suggest, folks, before we start listening to what I would term left-wing media, there's a thing that, if you remember when I spoke about a desire for the United States of Europe, I said that the biggest threat is in Europe. The biggest threat is globalization. And although I'm not going to dwell in globalization this morning, but it's something that we should be aware of. See, what is globalization? Globalization is an unelected government. In Europe, they, <coughs> they have now an unelected government. We have people that are voted in, but they're not the ones that make the decisions. And so there was a worldwide push for an unelected government. There's a worldwide push for a one-world religion already planned to be led by Rome and the Pope, and that's not an attack on Catholicism. Read it for yourselves, it's quite clear. You have the World Association of Churches who are meeting to discuss what we all have in common so that we can all have one religion. And the chair at this meeting just held by the Pope. So it's not me making this up. This is not me attacking the Pope. I'm only telling you what is actually happening. They're trying for a one-world army, which will be used to suppress any resistance. And these are only some of the things. Look it up for yourselves, globalization. And it's time that God's people became aware 
of what's going on. See, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, folks, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And as we look at the moment and what is going on in Israel and the Gaza Strip, before we make any conclusions there, I think, firstly, we have to ask two very important questions. Who is Israel? And where is Israel? Who is Israel? And where is Israel? You see, we have been taught that Israel is a plot or a piece of land which has been contested for centuries. And you know, the, the thing that I always note about that, that they, they say the modern people who live in Israel uh, took that land. You know, throughout the world, you know what the truth is? It doesn't matter if it's Australia, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, America. The people that live in them lands conquered and took that land from someone else. And they're now dwelling. So every nation in the world has had uh, others come in, conquer, settle, and take over the land. It's not just Israel, but I disagree with that point anyway. But what does the Bible therefore say about Israel? Well, the first time Israel is mentioned in the Bible is in that very well-known portion of Scripture in Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestled with the Lord. And the Lord told him, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thy power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. So this declaration from the Lord is repeated in Genesis 35, verse 10. And when something is repeated, it's, it's emphasized in the mouths of two or three witnesses. So if we see something said twice, it's emphasized. And it's emphasized or it's repeated to show the importance of this word from the Lord. So it was reiterated. It's like you giving a, a, a promise to someone or coming to me and saying I covenant or I promise I'm going to do this then coming to me a short time later and saying by the way I promised it you're reiterating you're reassuring me you're, you're reaffirming the word that you've given me and God reaffirmed his word to, to Jacob that he would be called Israel and so we have to go back in the Bible now to understand what was happening here so we go back to Genesis 12 and we see in Genesis 12, verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. You see, we see here that Abraham's descendants were to become a great nation, who would enjoy, and this is important when we're identifying who Israel is, that would enjoy the blessings of the Lord, and would enjoy the protection of the Lord. They would reap what they sowed, and they did. If they turned from God and turned to pagan idol worship, then they, they, they did. We've seen that. And still today, if they do that, they reap what they sow. But we go back into Genesis 13. In verse 16, we see that, And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, they, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Now read that, folks. You can number the amount of people who are living in Israel quite easily through population uh, census. But that says you wouldn't be able to number them. They would be as the dust of the earth. Then in Genesis 22, when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son of the promise, Isaac, and the Lord stayed his hand and said that he would provide himself a sacrifice. Then we go into Genesis 22. 
And this is wonderful, this. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. You might think I'm stupid, but last time I was at the beach with the grandchildren, uh, Murloc Bay, we're doing sandcastles. And I thought of that first. So I lifted a handful of sand. And I began to number it. And I gave up after about 30. I thought, no, <laughs> it's impossible. But that will be the seed, or the number of God's people. And so what was Abraham told? God, God wanted to separate a people unto himself. He chose Abram, who he later called Abraham. But Abraham had a choice. He had to come out of this, of his old world, and follow God. And when he did, the promises of God applied to him and his family. And the promise from the Lord passed on to the seed of Abraham, to the sons of Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And as seen from Genesis 32, verse 8, that the Lord changed uh, Jacob's name to Israel and his descendants became known as the children of Israel. And so it wasn't where they were because they hadn't entered the promised land then. It was the body of people. They were the children of Israel. They were Israel as we are the church. It's not that we're here in Glen Mackin. It's we are the church. This is a building we worship in, but we are the church. So they were God's people. And so we go forward then and we go forward, and I'm, I'm, this is a vast subject we could spend months on, so I'm trying to condense it the best I can. So we go forward to King Solomon, David's son. And after, <coughs> uh, when he died, there, there was a split, as we'll see. As the kingdom of Israel was divided into two nations by Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And they were divided because Rehoboam took the advice of the younger men. He had the advice of those who advised his father because all the, 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 southern, uh, the southern tribes, you know, the southern tribes of Judah came and, and they complained about the, the heavy tax and the heavy burden that Solomon, put upon, Solomon had put upon them. And they said, we'll serve you, Rehoboam, but you need to relax a bit. You need to calm it down. And the, the elders or the, those who would advise Solomon told uh, Rehoboam, look, you know, do that for the people. Concede something. They'll see that, you know, you're going to be a good king. But he listened to his friends and he actually said, I'm going to make your burden twice as heavy. And so the kingdoms were split. The kingdoms were split into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Now we know that through disobedience, as we said, apostasy and the worship of pagan gods, Israel was taken into captivity. Assyria, who were a world power at the time, took Israel into captivity and his people were taken captive. Hezekiah was the king of Judah at the time, a good king, excuse me, who listened to Isaiah, God's prophet. I touched on this last, or the last time we looked at this. Well, as a watchman, Isaiah told Hezekiah, warned Hezekiah that they needed to turn to God. So the kingdom of Judah was spared and it was only Israel the 10 northern tribes that were taken captive. But when the Babylonians came, 
to, began to dominate the world through Nebuchadnezzar. He was defeated in a battle in, in a battle in 601 BC by Egypt. And at this time, therefore, Judah tried to take advantage of this, and they revolted against Babylon, culminating in a three-month siege of Jerusalem beginning in 598 BC, when I can never pronounce his name. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. He died during the siege. Was succeeded by his son Jeconiah at the age of 18. And so Israel and Judah were taken captive away from the land. Now the thing to note about this, uh, which really leads us to where we're going today, when someone conquered a land, as we touched a wee bit there on earlier on, when someone conquered a land, they took away nearly 99% of the people, as it were, or well, nearly all the people. They did leave some people that were able to look after the fields, the harvest and stuff, and the animals. But what they did, and funny enough, if you look at globalism, it's what they're doing today. It's called population replacement. And I can't remember the other word they use. Uh, but anyway, it's called global, uh, population replacement. So they took one population away and brought another population in. And they did this because they didn't know the land. They couldn't, they had brought so many from that land and so many from that land so that all one people weren't in that land. They were all different people and therefore they couldn't rise up against. It was a, a tactic, I would suggest to you. Now we know from Nehemiah and Ezekiel that some of the Jews, not all of the Jews, and it's important that we note this, not all of the Jews returned to Judah. But some of them did, as we know that from reading Nehemiah and Ezekiel. But the point we do need to consider is that Israel did not return. They were taken away and eventually settled in a land appointed for them by the Lord north and northwest of Palestine. And that's again a study in itself to show you that. Now an interesting point to note that many of the people who come into Judah and settled uh, and changed their religion to Judaism were Edomites. They were Edomites, long-time enemies of Israel and Judah. Many battles were fought against them. And in fact, at the time of our Lord's ministry, Herod was a, what they call an Edomite. That's an Edomite. And if, he, if you look at the background of all the disciples, they were Galileans, all direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and therefore heirs of his promise. Now, another interesting point is, again, we're trying to condense this, as we come to modern-day Israel, and the Jewish people today, is that very few of them living in Israel today are direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now listen to what I'm saying. They are Jews. They're entitled to be respected and known as Jews. But what I'm telling you is factual. They are not the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I would suggest, therefore, not inheritance of the promises given to Abraham and his seed. There's a wonderful book and I'm just going to quote him rather than uh, give you a little, my own synopsis. And this book is by a, a guy called Arthur Kostler. And the book is called The 13th Tribe. And I would recommend you read it. Now, it's a really deep book. If you're like me, then you'd have to go somewhere silent. And I, like, I always take notes when something's a bit too hard for me to take in. I have a notebook and I take notes and go over it again. It took me, I think, nearly a year to read this book. But uh, by the time I finish my notes on it, but it's a really good book, folks. But he said, and I quote him, at the beginning of the 8th century, the world was polarized between 
two superpowers representing Christianity and Islam. Their ideological doctrines were welded to power policies pursued by the classical methods of propaganda, subversion, and military conquest. The Ghazar Empire represented a third force, which had proved equal to either of them, both as an adversary and an ally. But it could only maintain its independence by not accepting either Christianity or Islam. For either choice would have automatically subordinated, subordinated it to the authority of the Roman Emperor or the Caliph of Baghdad. There can be no question that the Ghazar ruler was actuated by political motives in adopting Judaism. To embrace Mohammedism would have made him the spiritual dependent of the Caliphs who attempted to press their faith on the Ghazars, and in Christianity lay the danger of his becoming an ecclesiastical vassal vessel of the Roman Empire. Judaism was a reputable religion with sacred books which both Christians and Muhammad, Muhammadan respected. It elevated him above the heathen barbarians and secured him against the inference of colleague or a caliph or emperor. But he did not adopt along with circumcision the intolerance of the Jewish cult. He allowed the mass of his people to abide abide in their heathendom and worship their idols. He went on to say, uh, Austrian, Israeli and Polish historians independently from each other agree that the bulk of modern Jewry is not of Palestinian but of Caucasian origin. The mainstream of Jewish immigrants did not flow from the Mediterranean across France and Germany to the east and back again. The stream moved in a consistently westerly direction from the Caucasus through the Ukraine into Poland and thence into Central Europe. There is historical evidence that indicates that the bulk of Eastern Jewry, and hence the word Jewry, is of Kurdish, or sorry, Khazar, Turkish rather than Semitic origin. Now, I'll, read, I'll give you another quote from another guy. Uh, professor of medieval uh, Jewish history at Tel Aviv University, A.N. Polayak. In his book, Gazariah, he states, a new approach both to the problem of the relations between Gazar Jewry and other uh, Jewish communities and to the question of how far we can go in regarding this Gazar Jewry as a nucleus of the large Jewish settlement in Eastern Europe. The descendants of this uh, settlement who stayed where they were, though they, they immigrated uh, to the United States and to other countries, and those who went to Israel, constitute now the large majority of world Jewry. This shows that the large majority of surviving Jews of the world is of Eastern European, and thus perhaps mainly of Kassar origin. This would mean that their ancestors did not come from the Jordan, but from the Volga, not from Canaan, but from the Caucasus, once believed to be the cradle of the Aryan race. Genetically, they are more closely related to the Hun, Ugar, Mayagar tribes than to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the majority of people living in the world today who are Jews are Khazars, and they converted to Judaism, and they should be recognized as Jews. There's generations, and uh, they have every right, as anyone has every right, to return to Christianity, to turn to Islam if they want, and to be recognized as that. So I'm not taking that away from them. But what I am saying, and these two scholars are saying, they are not the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as a vast subject, I could go on about Hellenistics, or Hellenisians, whatever way they pronounce it. And this was Jews who, uh, who uh, were Jews, but they, can, they, they entwined in their beliefs a lot of Greek philosophy. 
And these are the ones that Paul would have dealt with uh, mainly. Hellenist Jews. That, and they, so they were Greeks that maybe converted to Judaism or Jews that uh, inf- were allowed to be infiltrated by Greek philosophy. So that is uh, the, the, the majority of Jews today. Now concerning Israel, even Jewish scholars will state that the children of Israel who were taken captive by Assyria did not return to Israel. And this is Jewish scholars. It's very easy to look up on the web. There's many uh, different sites you can go to. Uh, if you are interested and want to learn more, I really would recommend Truth and History. Uh, it's a website. I think uh, he actually preached here once, the guy who runs that site. I think it's Alan Jennings, he's called. Really good. But there's a guy on his website called Robert Carlingo, and he is absolutely fascinating. And if you ever get any of his YouTube uh, uh, pre- preaching or teaching, I really would recommend that you watch it. This guy really is very good. So anyhow, they weren't taken back or did not return to Israel. And they became known as what is called today the Lost Ten Tribes of Israel and are still considered that today. So these scholars who tell us that the tribes did not return, they're referring to them as the Lost or, as some people would say, the Scattered tribes of Israel, and what they mean by scattered is they're no longer together. They're just all over the place. A bit like uh, the, the, the descendants of Ishmael. People will tell you that the Arab nations today are descended from Ishmael. They're not. Ishmael, his children, uh, he amalgamated himself with the Midianites, and down through time, they integrated so much into Midian, the Midianite peoples that they disappeared and no longer existed. So they are definitely not uh, where all Arabs come from today. But anyhow, so they refer to the lost hand tribes of Israel and still consider that today. And the thing is that you can trace their movement through northwest into Europe and see the signs they left behind them. In Genesis 49, verse 1. No, didn't put that one down. We'll see. I might have skipped that one. Don't worry about it. Genesis 49, verse 1. Jacob called on to his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And this was a man who was dying. This was old Jacob, or Israel himself. Uh, they'd gone down into Egypt. He had seen that Joseph was alive. And he called his sons. And this was a thing back then that, you know, the, 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 the father was seen as a patriarch of the family and he would have given his blessings or he would have told her, his, his, his sons in particular back then of what was to become of them. And so he told his sons what would become of their seed. And that again, uh, young Reuben Bennett done a fantastic series on it. And if you check with Peter, I think it's still uh, on our web, one of our websites. But you can follow them. What he told them... And the fascinating thing, and this is for me, church, where where the Bible really comes together because you see God's hand. And even old Jacob back then, or Israel, whatever you want to call him, when he spoke to his sons and he told them what would become of each of them. You can identify them in Europe. Each particular tribe, the tribe of Dan, a seafaring nation. You know, we call Denmark, Denmark. If you talk to someone Danish, they call it Denmark. 
Why do they call it Danmark? Because Danmark means sons of Dan. In Scotland, McWilliams means son of Williams. And that translated into William's son, son of William. Stephen's son, son of Stephen's. Danmark's the same. They were the sons of Dan. And you, again, it's a vast subject. I'm not going to, I wouldn't have time to deal with it all now. But one fascinating thing that always fascinated me, and I always, one day we'll go down and, and see it. I don't need to check it out. I know it's true. I think it's in Trinity College in Dublin. It's one of the main universities down there. And they have the Irish Annals. And in these Irish Annals, they talk of a tribe of people who came and settled. And here's a fascinating thing. Amongst their brethren. I mean, they didn't come in and settle amongst the people. But they came in and settled, as it were, amongst family. It was like me going to uh, Australia and living with some of my mom's cousins who are all out there. So they were this tribe that came in, the Irish name for them was Triatha Dudanan. Triatha Dudanan. That means the tribe of Dan. And their descendants stayed and settled in Ireland. You see, we don't have time to go through this, but for, for our sake, what we note this morning is that Ephraim settled in the Isles of the Sea and Manasseh settled in the USA. And we can prove, I don't have time, uh, we can prove through scripture and through historical records that God has kept his promise and he has kept his promise to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If again, if you go on to our church website, uh, I did a series, a four-part series, I think it was, uh, from Ur of the Chaldees to the Isles of the Sea, and I go into things in more depth. And if you're interested, go on and watch that. And so what I'm saying today, Israel was not a piece of land. It was the children of the Lord. And although there will be wars in Israel in the last days, we know that. But God's chosen people were called to be his witnesses and are alive and well in the Isles of the Sea. And we need to be careful here. They call this the British Israel message. I prefer to call it the kingdom message. And there's some very extreme views, so be careful what you read. Because I believe that the Anglo-Saxon Celtic people were not called, who live in the Isles of the Sea, were not called because they are better than any Asian race. They are better than any African race. They are better than any other race in the world. They were called for a specific purpose. We were called to be God's witnesses. We weren't called to have special privileges. The Jews believed they had special privileges because of the merits of Abraham. And they believed they could enter into the kingdom of God because they were the children of Abraham. Well, that's not what I see the Bible saying. And as a nation, and in fact, some of the nations of Europe, they took the gospel worldwide, to Africa, to Asia, all over the place. They took the gospel as they were called to take but sadly, as a nation, they're turning their back on the gospel, but the nations that we once took the gospel to are bringing the gospels back to the United Kingdom. Last time I was in Nairobi, uh, I was in, uh, I think it's called Mamlaka uh, ch- uh, Church, and uh, at a meeting with their pastors and their elders, and uh, there was a German guy there too, but they were telling us how they were sending missionaries to Britain to bring the gospel back and they were saying that they were so grateful that 
uh, British missionaries had came and brought them the gospel and they felt obliged to take the gospel back to the UK and funny enough the links as you've seen we have with the, the uh, Indian community they also were sending missionaries uh, back into the UK God's chosen people were called to be his witnesses and we are called to be his witnesses in these last days and so the two questions we asked who is Israel? Israel is the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who are direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That does not mean, again, let me emphasize that I don't believe uh, the Gazars have no right to be called Jews. They have. Excuse me, they converted to it. But we are the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And therefore, we have the promises that we're giving of the protection and the blessings of the Lord. But like I said, Abraham had a choice because he was told first to leave with his father, bring all his family and leave where they were living at the time. Then he was called again to leave his father and go and separate himself and his family and we know that he took Lot with him, his nephew. And so we have a choice to be separated from the world. We have a choice to be separated from the world. And whenever we separate ourselves from the world, whenever we stop worrying about what the world thinks and what the world, well, certainly be concerned about what the world is doing, but understand our calling and seek the face of the Lord. And then when we quote 2 Chronicles 7, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, when we claim that their prayer, when my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then what did God say? He will heal their land. We are God's people. And Israel in the past repented and God heard their cry. And because of his promise, because of his covenant to Abraham, he kept that promise and he blessed them and he delivered them. Where is Israel? I believe the 10 tribes of Israel are here in the Isles of the, well, in Europe, but Ephraim and Manasseh are in Britain and America. They're not a piece of land. Israel is not a bit of land, although it's recognized geographically as a piece of land. But we are God's people. But here's a thought. Uh, let me remind. I think it's Galatians 6, uh, 16. Paul talks about the Israel of God. And if you read the whole chapter, now people use this, what Paul's uh, his dialogue here, uh, to, to say there's no such a thing as British Israel. There's all people who are saved are Israel. And in a sense, they're right. They're brought in. They're brought in. So people of the church are God's people and God's people are Israel. But the blessing is upon those whom God has chosen. And when people come in to that, to that, that, that people and be part of that people, be part of God's people, they also receive the blessing. See, this is what I'm telling you to be careful, folks. And again, I haven't time to go into this, but you need to be some of the things that well-known British Israel people are saying, I completely disassociate myself with. Totally, so be careful what you read. But look for yourselves, folks. Yes, Israel as a nation, I mean, it's important geographically because that's where the Lord's going to come back. He's going to stand in the last day upon that earth. So it's important geographically. It's important geographically to those who are trying to destroy God's people. For they have this sense that 
uh, you know, if they can take over Jerusalem, if they can take over Israel, then, you know, that's going to kill off all Christendom. <clears throat> but you know something? God is in control, folks. God is in control. And Israel today, you know, say something and just listen to what I'm saying. Don't make any assumptions. If I said to you that there's churches in Muslim countries being murdered, tortured, and churches being burnt down, you'd say, yeah, you know, that's true. Let's pray for them. If I said to you, and it says this factual, in India, there's churches being burned, there's Christians being beaten in the street, trying to be forced to deny their faith, you would say, well, I've heard that. That's right. Do you know something, church? In Israel today, there's churches being burnt. In Israel today, Christians are being attacked. Oh, brother, don't say that. Oh, my word. I can only tell you the truth, church. There's a, there's a very anti-Christian move against uh, Christianity in modern-day Israel. Now, there's people there who love the Lord and serving the Lord, but there's, there's, there's a move against God in that land. And so we need to pray for them. We need to pray for the churches in the Muslim countries, in the Arab countries, and in Israel as well. And that God would use them where they are. That God would use them where they are. Their, their view, okay, I'll, I'll wrap up and I will tell you this. The, the, the view of Orthodox Jewry is that Christianity is Roman Catholicism. If you ever speak to any of them, that's their view. We're all in uh, the beliefs of Roman Catholicism. And one of them actually speaking on a television program, but it was like a service, speaking to other Jews, he said, it is the Jews' responsibility that when the Messiah returns, we have to kill all Christians. And he was asked, why have you to do that? And he says, because the Christians idol worship. And so, you know, there, there's hatred there as well as uh, Saudi Arabia, as well as parts of India, particularly in the north of India, I'm told against God's people. But we have the blessing and we have the protection of God, folks. And we have God's hand upon us and I believe God's hand is upon some of the people in Israel at the moment. I was just praying, and Wednesday night we were praying about Israel and a thought came to me, folks. There's a lot of people in Israel that don't want the war. They don't hate Christians. They don't hate Palestinians. They don't hate anybody. They just want to get on with life. There's Palestinians, folks, who don't hate Jews, who don't hate Christians. And they're living in Gaza, and they're living in the West Bank. And it's these terrorists are starting these wars, and they're the ones that's suffering. And I think we should pray for the Palestinian people who just don't want this war, they want nothing to do with it. They're Muslims, and they're quite prepared to stay in their faith and let you stay in your faith. But because of this the extremists, I mean, we've we seen it in Northern Ireland, folks, didn't we? We all know people as Protestants didn't want any troubles. No problem, disagree with Catholics doctrinally, but we don't want to shoot them and bomb them and kill them. And there's a lot of Catholics I know, and they would like an All-Ireland, but they weren't prepared to kill anybody for it. But you see, we were all labeled, we all hated each other, and that's what's going on in Israel at the moment. And so we're not getting the full picture. I mean, I tell you, we'll run out of time, I'll hand back to the musicians. I could tell you about <coughs> Jews in Israel who run food banks for Palestinians. You never hear that, so you don't. 
tell you about Palestinians who cross over uh, from Gaza, from the West Bank, into Jewish settlements to work in their gardens, to work uh, uh, as cooks, as cleaners in their houses. And their own people were threatening their lives. And they loved going over and they thought that the, 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 their, their employers, the Jewish people, were wonderful people. And so we need to pray that God will move upon the land Israel and upon Israel that we will stand for God, that God will protect us, that God will lead us, and that God will guide us. As I said, folks, I haven't even scratched the surface this morning. But study yourselves. Look into this. Don't be afraid. Be concerned. Seriously be concerned. I could go on about globalization. Just as the musicians come back, do you know the World, World Health Organization? That well, the musicians are coming back. I want not bite. Come on. <laughs> These are all very worried. <laughs> the World Health Organization are moving to get all countries to sign into a law, which means that they can, uh, they can uh, proclaim a pandemic and they can close a country down. They can claim, or they can say that uh, they can give, I'm trying to think of the word, injections for all this COVID and whatever else is to come, and the country will have to do it. They went to the United Nations, and there's been debates going on about this. And as an organization, look them up, they're really good. They're called Citizen Go. And they're against this because they know what's going on. And they were given an allotted time a couple of weeks ago to speak at this convention where they're discussing the power being handed over to the World Health Organization. And there was an allotted time in the United Nations, and when it came to their turn to speak, they were told there's no time left. Yesterday was the last time when a vote was meant to be taken, but I don't think it was taken. They were banned from even entering the room. So there's a move, folks. But it's not of God. It's of the God of this world. But we are under the divine protection of God as God's people. So let's pray that God will move, that many hearts will come to know them as Savior and Lord, and that when Satan raises up a standard, or when Satan raises up, the Lord will set up a standard against him. Amen. God's in control. Let's stand. Thank you for listening today. Again, I'm not offended if you don't agree with me.